Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. This isn't what I signed up for. How many of us have said that to ourselves over the last 18 months? For those of us able to work remotely, we've muttered it over our 8,000th Zoom meeting. For those of us who are essential workers, we've said it with well-deserved resentment over the endless PPE and the grooves worn into our faces from our masks. This isn't what I signed up for. Young people missing proms. New parents unable to have all their family and friends at baptisms. Weddings delayed and graduations with no spectators. This isn't what I signed up for. We've said it about church. We've mustered ourselves to adapt to complex variations of online and hybrid church, responding valiantly to the need to adapt. But there was a probably a little voice in the back of our heads. This isn't what I signed up for. The disciples said it too. Well, not in so many words, but if we read between the lines of our gospel, it's plain to see. In our gospel lesson, the 12 disciples have just returned from their very first solo mission. Jesus sent them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. It was a very successful trip, and they can't wait to get back and tell Jesus all that God empowered them to do. As it says in our lesson today, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They were so excited to find that they too could make a difference in the lives of their people because of their belief in Jesus. But if we pick up the scripture right there, we miss a key ingredient of the story. What just happened? What did we read about before? Mark doesn't tell us what we know actually happened. In the same conversation where the disciples tell Jesus all the good they have been able to do in his name, he has to break the terrible news to them. John the Baptist has been beheaded. Can you imagine the grief and pain and fear that broke over them at hearing that Jesus has just lost his cousin? The world has just lost a great prophet. It must have been a profoundly disillusioning moment for the disciples. They'd just gone out and healed the sick, proclaimed good news to the poor. They'd really seen people's lives being changed by the message they had been sent out to deliver, by the unique blend of evangelism and healing Jesus awakened within them. Then to come back and find that John the Baptist has been executed. It's one of those moments of wondering, what's the point of all this? Where is God in the midst of this? This isn't what I signed up for. I think we as the church are in very much the same emotional space as the disciples. 
we have the excitement of things starting to open up, mingled with the grief of the pandemic and touched with the fear of COVID ratcheting up in Missouri again day by day. We see the potential for ministry right in front of us. We know the world is hungry for meaning and we have a message to share. We know the needs of those on the margins are more desperate than ever, and we hear the call to serve, to collaborate with our neighbors. The call to evangelism and healing has never been clearer. But things are scary and sad, along with being exciting and energizing. It's a disorienting mix of emotions, and it's hard to know what to do next rush back out into the world, get those ministries rolling full tilt? Stay inside? Be cautious? What do we do? Torn to and fro by the grief of the death of John and the exhilaration of their success on their mission, the disciples are in much the same boat as we are. And Jesus knows. So what does he do? He does neither of the two options we thought we had to choose between. He does, and I cannot believe I am saying this, he does hybrid church. He takes them aside to a deserted place to pray and takes them out into ministry. He tends to their grief to let God work on their hearts and bring them healing. But first of all, and I'd never noticed this before, he takes them aside together. I think most of us in our highly individualized American context, when we read, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while, we hear, come away by yourself. Awesome, we think. Jesus wants me to rent a cabin in the woods and not talk to anyone for a week. Or, even better, Jesus wants me to quit all my committees and ministries. Now, Jesus may want that for you, but not here, not in this passage. He doesn't say, come away by yourself. He says, come away by yourselves. Rest together. Pray together. Be alone together. Ah, dang it. Think all the introverts in the room, including me. Being at rest and prayer in community is way more demanding than doing it alone. You mean I have to get spiritually recharged with the person who regularly steals my pew or never mutes correctly on Zoom Bible study? I have to get spiritually recharged with the person who makes vestry drag on for four non-refundable hours or will not stick to the Sunday school curriculum no matter how many times I ask. Yuck. I'm not up for this. I need a break. This is not what I signed up for. But fine, we think. Going aside to a deserted place as a group sounds okay. I guess I can get on board. I'll sign up for that. But that's not what ends up happening. The crowds follow them. So desperate to experience Jesus and his grace that they hunt him down. And he had compassion for them, the gospel says, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus once again plunges in, teaching and healing them without restraint or rest. And the disciples are with him, 
once again in the crush of the crowds. No place to be alone and think and pray and mourn. This isn't what I signed up for. But Jesus was still caring for the disciples, just in a different way than how they anticipated. Helping others is one of the best ways to bring light back into your own hurting heart and get you out of yourself and your problems. So Jesus takes the disciples with him as they care for the crowds. Hybrid church. Alone together praying and out in the world serving, figuring it out one step at a time. He shows them that although their own pain is great, there are so many poor and sick and hurting people out there whose pain is equally bad, if not worse. And they, we, are needed. They cannot bring John the Baptist back, just as we cannot bring the victims of the pandemic back, and we cannot bring church the way we grew up with it back. But they can make John's dream manifest in the world a dream of the reign of God with Jesus in their midst. The disciples find the healing they need by participating in God's healing of others. Let me say that again. The disciples find the healing they need by participating in God's healing of others. But the reason the disciples are able to help people and work through their grief is because Jesus is with them. They could not have done it on their own. As we are called back into the world to help others and do good work for the kingdom in order to bring our own broken hearts back to life, we are not generating that energy ourselves. It comes from him, from Jesus' presence, from God's spirit working through us. We see an example of that in our lesson from 2 Samuel. Not in response to grief, but in a place of triumph and joy, David thinks he needs to build a cedar house for the Lord. It is self-generated work for self-generated reasons. David says he's doing this for the Lord, but he's really doing it so he can feel good about himself and express his power. wonder if I've ever done that. And the Lord pulls him up short. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Who asked you? God says to David. No, 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 God says. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. God is the builder here. God is the one who will provide. God is the one who chooses the time and the place. We don't build things for God. God builds us. We don't build things for God. God builds us. And we hear that same truth proclaimed in our lesson from Ephesians. You are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is exactly what is happening to the disciples in this moment in the Gospel of Mark today. Brought low by grief, 
beaten down by the cruelty of the world and dragged straight back to work by Jesus. They are heartsick and wondering how they can possibly carry on. But as they find strength through Jesus to do their ministry, God is building them into something new. But that building can only happen to them as a community. In Jesus' hybrid church, half prayer in a deserted place and half service and healing on the front lines of suffering, they are together. If they had allowed their grief and fear to isolate them, they would not have recovered. They would have drifted back to their fishing boats, disillusioned, disappointed, that bright spark that made them drop their nets all but gone out. Trial, suffering, healing. They had to go through it together. And so with every hurting body they bathed and bandaged, with every curious seeker they taught, with every hungry mouth they fed, although their sadness and anger at the death of John still ached at the back of their minds, they began to experience what life was like with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Every church goes through hard times. This church has borne grief and heartache in the past and will do so in the future. What will make the difference in whether we survive it comes down to two things. Do we separate and isolate, or do we get through it together? And do we let ourselves be consumed by our pain, or do we channel it into the building of God's dream for the world? This isn't what I signed up for, you might think. But you actually did. It's in the fine print of the baptismal covenant that Jesus might really jerk you off track and ask you to do crazy things and push you way beyond what you thought you could do. But if you trust him, you'll find his path, as challenging as it is, brings the deep healing into your life that you've been searching for all along. Amen.